Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about why you should not cancel your whole life insurance policy. We're also going to bring up the reasons that you might feel the need to cancel your policy and what canceling would actually mean and why it's usually not your ideal move. We're also going to talk about the many options that that are out there available to help you best accomplish your goals in, in the best way, keeping your life insurance policy on your way to building time and money freedom. We're your host, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Welcome, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Um, I think this is a very important topic because unfortunately, my gut sinks a lot of times when uh, I meet with people for the first time and they talk talk to me about, yeah, I canceled my uh, life insurance policy, whether it's, you know, whatever permanent policy it is, whether it's in universal life, index universal life, variable universal life, or a whole life insurance policy. Um, Because a lot of times people didn't know that they had other options. And I'm glad we're going to talk about those options today. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and set up the stage for our conversation. Now, at some point in your life, you recognize the value of having insurance, which is why you bought it in the first place. And let's just say that this is a whole life insurance policy. I know, Bruce, you uh, brought up a lot of times people will have a different type of policy as well. And we can discuss that also. But if you had at one time in your life, bought a whole life insurance policy, the chances are you were looking for some kind of protection for your family. Maybe you're looking for cash storage. Maybe you wanted a tax advantage growth. Maybe you were using privatized banking or wanting to implement privatized banking. So at some point, you made the decision to get whole life insurance for those reasons. And maybe now you're second guessing and wondering how to break free of that policy. Now, maybe your whole life policy is not ideal for privatized banking. Maybe you have slow cash value accumulation, or maybe you bought your policy and it wasn't with a mutual company, so you don't have dividends and your growth is slower than you had expected. Or maybe you feel tight because you're making the payments every month or every year to your policy and it feels like it's taking all your cash flow and you're in a position where maybe you'd rather use it for something else. Maybe you would rather put that into retirement or pay off your house with it. Maybe your kids are now grown, they're moved out, you're retired, your house is paid off and you no longer feel the need for insurance or other people are telling you that you no longer have a need for life insurance. Or maybe you're just in a tight year and cash flow is a challenge and paying your bills are a challenge. And maybe you're looking at what bills can go first and you're looking at the cost of life insurance and saying, well, maybe this is something I don't want to continue because this year it seems like an expendable expense. Maybe you're Maybe you have a disability and that's caused your income to drop or a loss of income. And now you're looking at the insurance bill as less of a priority. I'm sure there's many other reasons why um, you could be considering canceling a whole life insurance policy at this time, but those are some of the reasons that we have heard. Now, what we're going to answer today is what if your whole life policy isn't ideal for privatized banking? What if it's too much for you to keep paying? What if you no longer have the need for insurance the way that typically people talk about insurance needs? Or what if it is using up most of your cash flow? You can't pay off your mortgage as fast or something else that you might want to do. So today's conversation is going to show you your options so you can stop feeling stuck and best decide what to do and accomplish your goals and accelerate time and money freedom. So now this is just one part of the cash flow system. 
first you have the foundation to be more efficient with the money you're making. And then you are protecting your money and then you're working to get your money working for you as much as possible, increasing and multiplying. So whole life insurance is part of stage two, protecting the wealth that you've created. So let's jump in. So Bruce, let's first talk about why somebody might have the whole life insurance in the first place. I think it, when we, we look at whole life insurance, people do set it up for a variety of reasons. Um, you could set it up for cash storage, and that's one of the things that we espouse to a lot. And frankly, that's, that's, that's why a lot of people since 2008, um, the recession of 2008, uh, turned and said there, there needs to be a different place since they're not really uh, getting a good return in the bank anymore. People start looking for different places to store uh, money, and they found that, oh, this, this old way of storing money in, in cash-valued life insurance that has been around for a long, long time mm-hmm. is available. So cash storage is is one of the reasons people do it. And they do it either either for temporary cash storage until an opportunity comes around, or they do it for uh, long-term cash storage for appreciation for um, for some kind of goal or even retirement down the road. Yeah, and one thing um, about that is that it's tax advantage. So you're growing your cash value tax-free if you use it correctly, and that's preferred over putting it in a taxable account where you would have to pay taxes on the growth, and it's preferred over deferring tax in a tax deferred vehicle where you're going to have to pay tax later. So that's one reason why it's also an advantage in terms of cash storage, right? Yeah. And then actually you, you, people could refer back to our previous um, podcasts on the rich man's Roth IRA. And so that would be a very good example of, of uh, the tax uh, situation. If it done, if done properly, you're deferring the tax um, and maybe not even paying it, uh, at all, if you do it correctly. So that's one reason. Protection is another great reason. You know, people want to protect their family and they want to do it on a permanent basis. And so protection is a very, very important reason. I think we underplay this, including you and I sometimes, you know, oh, we, yeah. we underplay this particular thing. So we're looking at um, the death benefit as being a very, very important thing. There's also um, protection, uh, for, you know, just everyday expenses. I mean, uh, an emergency fund. Uh, now we're getting back into cash storage a little bit, but it's a place to store money that you're having for your ideal emergency fund. Um, there's disability. Or as an opportunity, an opportunity fund, right? Fund, so if right. You, yeah, so if you wanted to have cash available to invest in real estate or in businesses, or somehow you wanted to be able to have cash to invest and have that accessible whenever the opportunity came, to your attention. You didn't want to have to wait to access cash. Life insurance is a great tool for that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the, uh, the disability portion of it, you can design these things to actually help you in a disability situation. I tell people, although um, death is almost a, a sure thing. Now, maybe one day it won't be a sure thing, but death mm-hmm. is a sure thing. Um, we, we plan on that. But younger people or people when they're younger, they don't plan on disability. And there's a greater chance of having a disability when you're younger than there is the chance of you dying. So having disability insurance within your whole life policy that will actually complete the whole life policy is something that everybody should actually consider. 
Yeah. And that's called waiver of premium. And then also, if you didn't have waiver of premium on your policy, say that you had cash value available, you would be able to then access that cash value if you needed income during a down year, if that related to having a disability and having lack of income for that reason. So what we're showing you is a lot of the reasons to have whole life in the first place. It's not just a lifestyle expense. It's not just a cost to you. It's not just only the death benefit protection. It's very multifaceted uh, vehicle for creating wealth. And it is a place that you store cash that is safe and liquid and growing and can be used for a whole host of other reasons in your life. So we also have talked about before on a previous podcast why it's better to build assets than to pay off liabilities in terms of building your net worth or getting out of debt. And you can refer back to a previous podcast that we did that debt freedom does not equal financial freedom on that. And a lot of times, instead of trying to pay off a mortgage or pay off your debts in terms of your liabilities, really the best way to put yourself in a position of strength and stability and certainty for the future is to build up assets. And so one great way to do that is in cash value life insurance. So as we're talking about these, you have then within privatized banking, the ability to get a return in two places at the same time as that's an and asset because you're borrowing against the cash value instead of just using your cash. So these are a few things we wanted to start with just in case you might have possibly needed a reminder for all of the amazing reasons to have whole life insurance in the first place. So even if your policy isn't ideal, even if maybe it's not growing the cash value as quickly as you would hope, it still is one of the most valuable assets with the most benefits that provides you peace of mind and freedom and flexibility for today and tomorrow. It's also one of the assets that you want to keep the longest, even if your immediate circumstances might make it challenging. And that's one of those those key places where you might be needing to look past what's most convenient today to do what's best for your entire life and your, your future financial life. So if you don't want to cancel it, or here, let's first talk then about why you don't want to cancel your policy. What does it actually mean to cancel a whole life insurance policy? Well, Rachel, before we get into that, I, you know, a mentor of mine years ago said, you should have passion about what you're doing or don't do it, but you be careful about being passionate. And, and the reason for that is he says, when you have passion, it, that means you're driven to do and find out everything you possibly can find out about it. But if you cross over to being passionate, a lot of times people think, well, you're kooky. Uh, you're, you're, you you don't consider everything about everything That's else. Very well said. Well, one of the things that I've always said, <clears throat> yeah. So I try to be have passion about what I, I'm doing, but I don't want to become, you know, passionate and say, well, you're just silly if you cash this particular um, whole life insurance in. I believe if you really sit down and think about it, you probably wouldn't uh, cash it in. But I'm also uh, understanding enough to think that people sometimes think that that's their, oh, yeah. their, that's their only option, and and our and frankly, our industry, just like a lot of industries, have done a very poor job of explaining products to people. And I'm talking about other industries like <clears throat> doctors, lawyers. You know, there's all kinds of poor people in every profession. But what if for whatever reason, uh, uh, when people talk about whole life insurance. And, and we can maybe do a podcast on this, but there was a particular person and, and a company years ago that were trying to discredit this for a particular reason. 
and they were having people surrender these policies over mm -hmm. and over and over. And surrendering a policy means that you simply stop paying the premium. And then because it's a contract, the contract can either be null and void right away, or it can actually go into a situation where it's taking the dividends or the cash to actually pay the premiums until it can no longer do that. And then it will actually surrender at that time. So Bruce, just to um, clarify, when you say surrender, if somebody says, hey, look, I want to cancel my life insurance policy because I don't want to pay anymore, what they're actually meaning is I want to surrender my policy. So that would be an equivalent to canceling, correct? Correct. And I and yes, that's that may be what they're they're saying, but if they knew more information, right. they would just say, hey, I'm I'm having difficulty right now with the cash flow or uh, uh, in some cases, Rachel, people just say, well, I don't know why I'm putting my money in here when I'm I'm just getting, you know, a smaller rate of return when I could put it over here because my next door neighbor said I could get a greater rate of return over here or my brother said I can get a greater rate of return over here. So I want to stop putting money here into my whole life insurance. I want to surrender it and then put it over to this other position. Right. And if they knew there were other options, they may not choose surrendering. They may choose to um, actually use uh, values to actually pay premiums for a little bit to see if they can get a greater rate of return some, somewhere else to see if they can. They, might, they may not understand the compounding effect that we often talk about by putting it in first, or they may not understand that they can, uh, once they surrender because it's a, it is a contract, they cannot start it up again. Mm -hmm. um, with, now they can start a new contract, but they cannot particularly start that contract again. So yes, surrendering means you actually have given up all the, uh, the, the assets within the contract, but also it means that you're giving up all the contractual rights that you have within that contract. So let's just break that down. If I have a whole life insurance policy right now, it's in force because I'm paying premiums and I stop paying the premiums and I officially surrender the policy. Do I still have the death benefit? Well, no, if you, if you have officially surrendered a policy and you can do that by just requesting a surrender and then they'll send you the cash to you, or you can do it by not paying the uh, premiums. And then once the policy does not have enough cash to pay the premiums anymore, it will become a uh, surrender policy. Uh, but when which that means it, I don't have a death don't benefit, have a death and don't benefit. have cash. That's value exactly more. right. If you ask them to surrender it by sending you all the cash and you just surrender it, you immediately do not have the death benefit. If you say, "Well, I just don't want to pay the premiums anymore," and they use the the cash value to pay the premiums for a while, as that happens, the death benefit goes down further and further because what you're what you're actually doing is taking a, a loan against the cash value and to pay the um, the premiums. Every time you do that, then the the death benefit will go down eventually to zero as you do not pay the premium from from new uh, cash, or if the dividends are not sufficient enough to actually make the premium payment. Okay, so in the case where I say I'm not going to pay anymore and I don't want to pay from pro policy values, we essentially cancel or nullify the contract, and then we have no more death benefit. And you mentioned that I get part of my cash back. What exactly do I get yeah, back in that case? Question. Is it yeah, great cash question. value? So first of all, I have to you know, say the, the normal disclosures 
you know, we, we, we have to look at yes, your entire did. financial picture. We would have to uh, also say we're not CPAs or tax accountants. I, my experience is from working with our CPAs and our tax accountants, but there's something called the cost basis. So, and this is with any type of investment that you put, you put your money into, including like you're, you know, buying your home. So whatever you put into a particular investment. So in this case, let's say you put $50,000 into a cash value life um, policy, and that is your cost basis. If you then surrender it before the cash value grows uh, to $50,000, uh, because early on you're going to have some lack of liquidity, and you request a surrender and you only get $45,000 or $40,000 back, you haven't gotten up to your cost basis of $50,000. So then you, there would be no tax implications at all because you haven't made any money on this particular uh, policy. However, yeah, however, if you put in okay, 50,000 and with the guaranteed interest and the dividends gro growing past it and you request a surrender, you could be, you could be, and I want to say could be because we have to look at each individual contract, you could be held liable for the increase in that particular contract over the cost basis of 50,000. So let's say they send you a check for 53,000. Your tax application could be on that $3,000 of increase. Um, then we can get into uh, what's, what's called a modified endowment con contract uh, later on um, per IRS rules. If you, if you did not maintain the death benefit high enough, uh, then you could have also some uh, some tax implications in that case. Uh, very well said. So if I fully surrender and we're not paying from policy values, I no longer have access to the death benefit and the cash surrender value comes to me, I may or may not pay taxes on that, depending on if it's over the cost basis. And again, based on a case by case basis and individual policies are going to be different and individual financial situations are going to be different. So Bruce, let's kind of just make a um, big picture. What are some options besides just canceling or surrendering a policy that somebody might consider instead? And then we can kind of drill down into each one of those. Well, this is, this is why we believe being associated with the Nelson Nash Institute and actually designing policies to be flexible uh, gives people the, the greatest control in their lives. Oh, absolutely. So the, yeah. So the first thing is you could just pay from policy values. So every year as you get guaranteed increases from guaranteed interest and then the non-guaranteed dividends, although we, we tell people all the time, we have to say these are not guaranteed because they're not, but they're highly prob uh, probable because every company that we have used have paid um, dividends for mm -hmm. more than 100 years. So you can just ask the company to say, hey, I have some uh, value in my cash value here. So just use those for a time period to pay my premiums. And you can do that. And it can be sim a simple journal entry. They can just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shift my dividend this year to pay for some or all the premium. I can shift uh, cash value to pay for some or all the, all the premium. And you can do that two ways. You can do it as a loan, or you could do it by just simply 
surrendering a portion of the cash value. You can do it both ways. So that's one way to do it. The other way you could do it if you don't want to surrender it is just reduce to the minimum payment on the policy. And a lot of people don't know how to do this. And and if they've actually done what you've which our listeners have heard this before because we have a base policy, a term and a paid up additions rider on the policies that we design. But I just ran into another person the other day who was who had this set up and I congratulated them for setting it up, but their particular insurance broker set it up as all base. So, oh. so they actually have to somehow get the entire base premium paid every year. Now there is a variety of ways that you can do that, which we just talked about, you know, surrendering dividends, surrendering uh, uh, cash values, uh, so on and so forth. But, but the way we design uh, policies to be anywhere between only 30 to to 60% base, we can actually reduce and just say, hey, these this next year, we're just going to pay a reduced base premium. Um, and, and so that's one way to, to pay less. So, so to clarify on that, so generally what happens is your base premium is a required premium each month or year, and, or you can pay quarterly sure. as well. So whatever your payment cycle is, the base premium is usually the, the required payment. Your paid up additions then will have a portion of it being required. I've seen with some carriers, it's $100 for that payment. Sometimes it's a certain percentage, but the paid up addition, if you've structured that as 60% or the bulk of your premiums, then that portion is not required or it's optional to be able to pay in certain years. And again, it varies from carrier to carrier. Sometimes you limit your ability to put in cash in future years if you exercise that option. But what we're talking about is because Bruce, you're saying we designed these with flexibility so that we can look ahead to future years where there might be a tight year of cash flow. You have that flexibility to not pay the full premium in that. That's exactly right. That's exact, exactly right. And that is something I think um, is lost. I, I've actually sat down with people who had not had reviews for years and showed them that option. And they were so relieved. They were like, oh, I had no, I had no idea I could do that. I thought I had to put in 20000 this year. And I said, no, look at it right here. You only have to, this is the base premium. You only have to put in 8000 to keep the contract going the way that it was going. Now, there's, there's other options to do this. And I think that's where we want to go next. And that's with what's called reduced paid up. And, and before we go any further yes. with this, I want to set the stage a little differently. So if if you went to an insurance company and say and said, I have a hundred thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, or I just have a lump sum, I don't want to pay another premium for the rest of my life. I just want to give you this. You tell me how much death benefit I can have. That's called a single premium uh, uh, contract. And they will say, Well, if you give us this at your age, we will give you this amount of death benefit and it's paid up. It's called a single premium. Well, if you go are going along and you have cash value in your whole life insurance and you decide for whatever reason, and we would never, we would go through all the other options that you have as far as paying from values or, or reducing your payment or finding other collateral to, you know, to maybe borrow from to actually make your payment. You could actually go to the company and say, 
hey, I'm not starting with a $50,000 lump sum, but I have $50,000 in my cash value. So now what will you do for me for the rest of my life if I just give you that and I never want to pay it again? And that's called a reduced paid up policy. Now, the reason it's called reduced paid up is because they're going to now have to reduce your death benefit Mm-hmm. because they were figuring you were going to continue to make the premium payments. And that's why you had a higher death benefit. But for whatever reason, if you want to stop making a payment, those payments again, and you never want to make another one, you can do what's called a reduced paid up. We're going to reduce your death benefit, but it's going to be paid up. Now, you're still going to have and paid up, meaning and paid up, meaning no, no more premium, premium is due. Exactly. No more premiums due. And by the way, your cash value is still there to borrow from or to surrender a portion from, um, whatever you want to do with it. Uh, it just means that the death benefit is not as high, so you don't have as great a collateral uh, for your death benefit and your cash value to grow. And Bruce, when I've seen a paid up or a reduced paid up policy as well, what I did notice was interesting, and I wanted to speak to this as well, is that you'll see your death benefit reduce. You'll see the cash value do what? What does the cash value do? Does it hold? Yeah, the cash value then the, the, the cash value then actually grows. Yes. And in, in a lot of cases, once again, I have to disclose this because I don't know the, whole, the how it's designed perfectly, but in most cases it actually grows more quickly. And the reason it grows more quickly is the, the death benefit has been reduced. Mm. So the portion of the growth does not go to pay for a portion of the death benefit. So your cash value does continue to grow. Now, people say, well, then why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't everybody do that? Why wouldn't they get to a point and they just say, well, I'm supposed to pay on this for 20 or 30 years, but after seven years or eight years or 10 years or 12 years, I just want to do a reduced paid up so my cash value grows faster. Well, one, one is a person may want, want or need the higher death benefit. But here's the real important thing is once you've done that, you've lost all the riders uh, that the policy has. So you do not have long-term care benefits. You do not have uh, a waiver premium benefits. You do not have your term rider anymore. And more importantly, or maybe most importantly, you do not have your paid up additions rider. So you cannot put more money into the policy if you choose to do that. Right. So if going forward in the future, you had, again, that $30,000 per year you wanted to put back into the policy, you no longer have the ability to exercise. That's exactly that right. That's exactly right. You need to find another place to put that cash. Another place to put it or start up another contract. Unfortunately, if you have any health issues during that time period, you may not be able to. And here you're saying, well, oh, I wanted, to my, I wanted my policy death benefit to grow because now I've gotten some kind of health issue. And when I, I needed to leave a legacy for my family for protection, well, if you've done a reduced paid up um, because somebody told you, well, you need to put your money somewhere else. Um, it's funny, Rachel, you know, we've we've joked on this podcast before about the, the difference in our ages. And the older I get, the more important the, the death protection is for me. And I know there's it's. Well, that is until I well, had I a near-death experience about right. eight weeks ago, and now I'm, <laughs> I think I might value that even more than you right. do now. Well, I was just going to bring that point up. Uh, my wife and I were never blessed with children like you and Lucas were, so, you know, but we love our, our uh, nieces and nephews, and so we, we would like to leave a good legacy for them so that they don't forget about us. Um, 
But we also mm-hmm. we also think about as we get older, as I get older and older, I've noticed with my, my clients, all of a sudden, you know, we we illustrate a reduced paid up at year seven a lot of times because that is the time where the modified endowment contract is satisfied. And then when we sit down every year to review it, they see the drop in death benefit after year seven. And then they go, well, I don't want that death benefit to drop. Mm-hmm. And I'll remind them, I'll say, well, we went over this seven years ago and you were fine with it then. And they go, yeah, well, we're fine with it then, but we don't want it to happen now. Uh, so, so people start to understand that the protection is very, very important for them. Absolutely. And I think um, just as we're talking about this whole idea, um, I had a situation one time where we were talking with someone and they had in their mind a, a memory of a friend of theirs who had come to them in a time of need with low income and had requested and had said, can you loan me the money to pay my life insurance premiums? And that was a very scary situation for my friend to be able to say, oh my goodness, I never want to be in a situation where I have to ask someone else to pay my life insurance premiums. He didn't like that situation. It just made him feel helpless in that case. And so instead of saying, well, you would have to go get premiums from someone else or find another way to pay those premiums, there are so many options, including as as we're talking about reduced paying up. I wanted to um, ask you to clarify real quick, when you mention MEC, that means Modified Endowment Contract, Mm -hmm. It, it has to do with the death benefit reducing or having too much premiums for the amount of death benefit. What is the tax implication of a MEC and why do we not want to MEC a policy when we're changing the pay structure? Yeah, basically the uh, modified endowment contract are rules that were put on the, by the IRS in, in, the, in the 1980s so that life insurance uh, can grow tax-free uh, and a death benefit remain tax-free um, so that it, it's not like an investment in their minds. So if you actually uh, start these contracts out and you have the death benefit high enough compared to how much you're putting into it, then the IRS will certify, yes, this is not a modified endowment contract. And we will allow this to to actually grow tax-free and, and, and as long as you do it properly, take it out tax-free. However, if you do a reduced paid up and you reduce the death benefit and you were putting so much uh, premium into that, there is a possibility that the product could become now a modified endowment contract and the growth will now be taxable just like a tax-deferred asset is. Um, like an IRA or 401k. Now, Rachel, I, I like to tell people there's nothing. We have people that have actually we've actually uh, designed modified endowment contracts for people. Sometimes that's a good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've chosen yeah. to do that uh, even from the very beginning because we don't care about accessing the money in certain estate planning because we we just want to get the death benefit uh, for that particular person. So I'm not saying that uh, having a modified endowment contract is always bad. Right. It's not always bad. Right. It's just that you have to understand if you do a reduced paid up, you could actually reduce the death benefit by so much that now the tax-free growth um, is actually now going to be taxable upon withdrawal. 
Which is a very good point to make and, and a reason why you want to make sure that you don't exercise any of these options without professional guidance, because in your particular case, you would want to know what is the MEC guideline for my policy? How do we make sure that we make the best financial choice today and the best decision that's going to impact your future in the most positive way? Um, I also did want to mention a 1035 exchange. And Bruce, can you talk about that real quickly? If somebody was in a position to utilize it, let's first clarify what is a 1035 exchange and then when might it be a wise decision? Yeah, 1035 exchange is when you have cash value in an insurance product. You can you can do it in a whole life insurance. You can do it in um, index universal life insurance. You can do it in... Um, index annuities, you can do it in fixed annuities, you can do it in um, variable annuities. So, so it's, an, it's, a, it's an insurance product. So what happens with us, uh, most often when this happens, it's not from whole life to whole life. Although it, it can happen that way, if, if whatever particular whole life contract you set up, um, you said, hey, I like whole life, but I just don't think my, the contract was set up the way I need it now. I'm not even saying say it was set up improperly back then, but it's not set up the way you need it now. So what you can do is the insurance company can take the, um, the actual cash value in the, in the product and they can transfer it from one product within their own insurance company, or you can transfer the cash value from the insurance company to another insurance company. And there's no tax implications to do that. Think about, you know, a lot of people know about rolling over their 401ks, or their IRAs to another company. It's it's a, a very similar thing to that. The implications you have to worry about is what are you losing as far as a rider, and and also you have to wonder what am I losing as far as death benefit. And sometimes you lose death benefit early, but you gain it later on if you do it. An example would be an IUL policy that you've done, what's called an enforce illustration. So you you set up an, an index universal life or just a, or, or a universal life or a variable universal life policy uh, several years ago. The projections within the illustration have not happened like they thought it was going to happen. And as you get older, the cost of insurance in those policies is a one year renewable term policy. So the costs continue to go up, up, up and up. And at some point then uh, you're, you say, well, look, in 10 years, if things don't get better, I'm not going to have any cash value in this. And oh, by the way, I'm going to have to put a large chunk of money in there. So I don't want to lose my death benefit and I don't want to put this large chunk of money in there. So I can transfer the remaining cash value into a whole life. And then you look and see how much insurance you're going to have by transferring. It's, it, it becomes that single premium payment for a death benefit that we talked about. It's a paid up single premium payment. And then you look at the difference in cash, and uh, excuse me, in death benefit. Some people's, in, mo- in a lot of cases, some people it goes down. Um, some people it goes down initially, but then it builds up throughout the contract and they actually have more because uh, whole life has a, de- a death benefit cost that is spread out through the whole life. Where in the universal life policies, it, it actually goes up over your, Lifetime, so that is a, a 1035 exchange and how they work. They're they're often very um, advantageous for people. So one clarifying question that I think is probably on people's minds: If I do a 1035 exchange from one policy to another, is that new underwriting and a new age of starting a 
the new policy? Well, it's not it's not a new underwriting for the policy that you're exchanging the 1035 exchange, but it will be for the new policy that you're exchanging into. So, so I'd have to go through underwriting again. So 1035 yes. may not make sense if I'm significantly older and the cost of insurance is higher or if I'm significantly less healthy. Well, that, that is true, except a lot of these have been done prior to the last two mortality tables being updated, which we should tell our podcasters the new uh, uh, mortality tables with people living longer are actually required by law to be updated in January 1st, uh, 2020, this coming January. So even though you've gotten older, the mortality tables have become more advantageous over the last few decades. So it still may make sense to go through underwriting. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do it now because I'm older and the cost of insurance is going to be greater. Well, that could be true. It may not, not be the, be the case. case right? And remember that, you know, the whole life insurance uh, cost of insurance is actually um, spread out steady for the entire time of your lifetime where the universal life cost of insurance, even if it's going down because mortality is going up, uh, Jan- uh, uh, yeah, going up January 1st, new tables, it still is going to increase your entire life. Which again, Life insurance used to be illustrated to age 100. That's right. Probably before that, it was a shorter time frame. Now it's usually illustrated to age 121. And so with those adjustments means insurance is recognizing our healthier, longer yeah. lifespans. So that's good. Now, um, Bruce, I do think we should mention life settlements as well, just because that is an option. When, first of all, what does that mean? And when might that at all be on the horizon for anyone with a life insurance policy? Well, this is, yeah, this is all related uh, because- where this happens the most of the time, and it can happen for a whole life too if you want it to, but where it doesn't make sense normally with whole life, but it usually works with universal life. And there's a there's big industries right now uh, that are doing this, and people are squeamish about this. So this is, let's just give you an example. So let's say somebody is in their whatever age they are, but usually it's because they're older, 78, 79, 80, 81. I mean, I've seen it in the 90s and they have a universal life policy and they haven't been funding it properly. And they were they thought they were going to use all the cash value to pay for the uh, universal life policy for the rest of their life. But because interest rates have gone down or if it's an index universal life, it hasn't performed. The indexes haven't performed like they were supposed to, according to the illustration, then Let's just use some round numbers. A person has a million dollar death benefit and they only have, let's say, $400,000 left in the uh, policy. And the next year's premium is going to be $60,000. And they don't have $60,000. Now, what they could do is they could use policy values to pay for the premium, but then they've done an enforced illustration. And they've looked at the next year, it might be 65,000 and next year might be 70,000. And so they're like, holy, holy cow, if I don't die soon, it's going to use all my 400,000. So my, my, uh, my heirs aren't going to have the 400,000 or they're not going to have the million dollar death benefit. Mm-hmm. Or they may, they may actually need or want the 400,000 of cash value um, to actually do something else with it, maybe nursing home care or so on and so forth. So what you can do is you go to a company and a company will come in and say, we know you have a $1 million death benefit. 
you have $400,000, we will incent you by giving you $500,000 or $600,000 to actually turn this uh, $1 million of death benefit over to us and we will become the owner and the beneficiary. You will still be the insured. So the contract's still in place. And people say all the time, well, why would a person do that? Well, they may not have, they may see the writing on the wall that they're not going to be able to make the premium payments. Or like I said, they would like access to more cash value plus, plus what they get on top of it. Now, the companies that I have seen for this, they have actually, um, they bring the heirs in and they, they sit them down a table and they say, you understand this is what your parents are doing. And they, they make them sign off on it because they want to give them the opportunity to actually make the premium payments. So right. that because it would be more, more advantageous for the exactly heirs right. to receive the full death benefit at the time that the parents pass away rather than a smaller portion. Yes, now. But, it, but the fact of the matter is people can't, they don't have the means to do this. So it's, it's a greater, it's a, it's a, it's a greater good. We talk about this all the time. Uh, when you have things in the marketplace, problems in the marketplace, like-minded people figure out a way to solve the problem. So these life settlement companies have figured out ways to solve the problem. Another mentor of mine have all have talked about this as, as far as universal life in this analogy. Um, it's like you're in a hot air balloon. So you're rising up and your death benefit is getting larger and larger, but you need the gas to still be burning to keep the, the, the death benefit uh, in the air. But all of a sudden, if you don't have money to pay for the gas to burn, mm -hmm. then you are in a very difficult situation. You're too high now to jump out and save yourself. Right. And you're, you don't have enough money to actually keep the, the balloon in the air. So what a life settlement company does is to come in and says, hey, what I'll do is I will actually take over the balloon. We will let you down gently to the ground. You'll survive and we'll keep paying the premiums to the death benefit. And in, in order to let us do that as an incentive, we will give you all the money that you use to pay for all that gas over these years to get the balloon in the air. And so people are, are willing to do that um, because it's a win-win for everybody. There's, there's really good research uh, on this by a UCLA um, geneticist that life uh, settlement companies are thinking that they don't know um, exactly when you're going to die, but you, with DNA research, they feel like they're kind of becoming closer and closer to becoming within five years of when you're going to die, especially the closer you are to death. Most of these life settlements happen right. with people that are in their 70s all the way into their 90s. And so um, they feel like they can look at your DNA and see how these the ends of the DNA have actually sh uh, sh either torn or showed wear on them. And they believe that they're coming closer and closer to, to know within five years whether you're going to die or not from natural causes. Now you can die from wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, you can die from uh, you know getting hit by a bus and so on and so forth. But right. but actually they don't care about that because that means you die sooner. Uh, so the actuarial tables actually work better for them at that time. That's fascinating. Uh, this is a this is something I my clients really get squeamish about when we bring it up 
because they're like, well, then you're kind of rooting for pe- you know, people to die. And we're saying, well, no, you're not rooting for them to die. You're just solving this particular problem that you have. So that that's probably the final thing we we have on uh, life settlements. And yeah. we certainly can go over this with with any of our listeners, if they want to reach out and we can talk to them about this. Yes. And again, just the premise for this whole conversation is that if you at any point felt stuck in your life insurance policy, we wanted to provide you the education and information to have confidence to know that you're not stuck. And there are a lot of options and exercising the right option depends on your knowledge and then working with somebody who has the experience and wisdom and understands all the moving parts so they can help you make the best decision that is best for you right now and also best for your future. And so we want to help you not feel like you're in that dead end situation. Now, if you do have questions about any life insurance policy that you currently have, whether it's whole life or Bruce, as you mentioned, in index universal or universal or variable universal policy, if you have life insurance right now and you have Anything that we've mentioned today has resonated with you somehow that you either have a question about making future payments or when will this policy mech or what can I do with this policy if I don't want to continue funding it in the future, we would be happy to answer your questions on a case-by-case basis. And to do that, you would need to book a strategy call with us so that we can talk to you directly about your particular situation. And so we'll make sure that we have the link in the show notes for you to be able to book a strategy call today. If you also wanted to figure out how to start keeping more of the money you already make so you can have more to save and invest, that's also another reason to book a strategy call. Or if you're interested in finding out alternative investments or using privatized banking, those are reasons that we can help you with in your financial life so that you can get closer to and accelerate time and money freedom. So thank you so much for being with us on the show today. We hope that this has been helpful to you and we invite your questions and your thoughts and your feedback. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking Put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated. 
or Kalos Management Incorporated.